Now I want to dive right into the Word this morning. I'm going to start with Genesis 3 and 15. Uh, the title that I, I'm giving to the message today is Through the Generations Living with Eternity in Mind. Living with Eternity in Mind. Uh, I, I won't begin to accomplish all that's in my heart to do, uh, but I am going to sow things today that I pray you grab hold of and you go and study on a little bit further and just really take this word to its greatest depths. I believe that God is raising up serpent crushers. Two warriors in the house. Thank you. Uh, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. The Lord is prophesying and he says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Your offspring and hers. Hell has an offspring. And so does heaven. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That, that's a whole sermon in itself right there. But the, the word literally does read, he will crush your head and you will lie in wait to touch his heel. You will crush his head, but he will lie in wait to touch your heel. And I believe that, the, that that's a definitely a messianic passage of Scripture right there, given the incidents of, between Adam and Eve and, and sinning against the Lord and, and death entering into everything that God had presented and built. Uh, but this prophetic word right here speaks of Messiah, one who would come and crush the head of the one who just uh, administered death to God's creation. And I believe that uh, that just doesn't speak of Messiah but it speaks of every generation. God is looking for serpent crushers in every generation. Just as Cain killed Abel, you know, the first son of God dies, or the second son of God dies, the first son of God wanders off. That's what his name, he wanders off. Abel is dead, but God brings forth Seth, another appointed son. When Cain killed Abel, uh, you, you had to just guess that all of hell was rejoicing at that point because the plan of God had been destroyed, diverted, and just done away with. But God had another plan in mind through a generation. He would raise up a serpent crusher, Seth, the appointed son, would bring forth a lineage of which God can continue to move through history. Now, I'm going to present a little illustration, and I hope this sticks with you. Uh, for a little bit, uh, because I'm going to change how you see today. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, he's going to change how we see. From now on, you're going to begin to see with the eyes of eternity. The church is just too bound up with seeing only what this life sees. I was teaching this several years ago in our church, and I had a dream somewhere in that, uh, that season and I, I was dreaming, I was with my granddaughter's great-grandchildren. And the Lord said, because you are seeing into the generations, you can impact the generations. See, so often when we look at our lives, what we see is a circle of life. We see, what's his name? Not Simba, what was it? Mufasa? Simba, the lion. Right? You can see how far away from Disney I live. 
the circle of life. Nobody's going to sing the song. Hang on to those for just a minute. I'm going to need a couple of guys up here to volunteer to help me out. Jeremiah, you look like a, you look like a good winner up there. Yeah, come on, come on, bring, bring it up here. Uh, just pause right there. No, yeah, just pause right there. Okay, so when we, when we look at the generations, most people think of a single generation. So in a generation, we call it the circle of life. A man is born, uh, he is instructed, and he is taught, and then he, he gives back to uh, society, gives back to his family, he moves on into his uh, golden years and then death, and thus is the circle of life of which, um, you know, Disney tried to portray that. So we got the picture. When we talk about generations, we see a circle. We see a start to a man's life, and we see the end to a man's life. God doesn't look at that. God doesn't see people beginning and ending. He sees us eternally alive, forever and ever. And God wants us to, to begin to look and to see generationally. Another hula hoop. Okay, guys. I'll put one of you right there, one of you over here, and we'll try and do this. Yeah, got to jump up there. Got to get high enough so the camera can see you. One, one more up. Okay, so uh, we have the first generation uh, being held right here. So you got the beginning of life. Uh, he grows. He gives back. He dies. One life, one generation. And then we have another generation. So this would represent my, my grandfather's life right here. Both of them have went on to be with the Lord. This one represents my dad's life, and it's important that you hold it like that. Got it? Because what I want you to see is this is the section where these two lives inter interact. This is where impact is made from uh, this generation to this one right here. So we only have this amount of time span to make impact on the next generation. Then we have, uh, yeah, my birth comes in here. Let's see, this is my grandfather, this is my dad. Okay, got that? Are, are you seeing what's taking place? So when we look at our own lives, we look at the generations. And, and so I can look in, uh, my great-grandfather was a man of God. He was killed in a, in a logging accident a long, long time ago. Then my uh, grandfather, I remember when my grandfather got saved. And he had an incredible impact on my life. I, I remember when my dad got saved. I remember when I got saved. I remember when my son, Caleb, got saved, and now he has a son who's also loving the Lord and worshiping the Lord. So five gen, right? Great-grandpa, grandpa, grandpa uh, dad, me. five generations right there. So I've had opportunity to see all five. Well, I didn't get to see my great-grandfather. I got to see my great-grandmother. Uh, but five generations right there in my lifetime that I can look at. So we, we say, okay, we can see the generations. But what God does, God doesn't see generationally. God, God doesn't have a, a picture. You can grab that end of the rope right there. Either, either one. Yes, young man, go for it. <clears throat> okay, we're going to hold this thing tight. Yeah, so I'm going to pull it out of your hand. You ready? You're going to help me hold it tight? So when God looks at, uh, at eternity, because remember, it's talking about seeing through the eyes of eternity. Most often, we as people see uh, like this. We see generationally. It's a hoop. But God sees like this when he looks into eternity. You've got to pull that up tight for me, sir. 
Yeah, there you go, there you go, there you go. Keep on going, keep on going. You got it. Okay, now feed me a little bit. So God is looking, he's looking at the generations, but God doesn't see in a circular way. What God sees is that he sees eternity. God looks at our lives linear. And this is important for us because if we're going to develop eyes that see with eternity, we have to see and understand that God is looking at this uh, linearly. Isaiah 46, uh, 10, I believe it might be. Uh, The Lord says, Isaiah's prophesying and he says, before the beginning began, God went to the end and finished. Then he came back and started. Let me say that again. He he is the God who declares. This is how it says it. I am the God who declares the end from the beginning. So what that tells me as a student of the Word of God is that God went all the way to the end right here where I'm at and He finished. Then He went back and He started. So God is looking linearly through the ages. Thank you, everyone. You may be seated. You did an excellent, excellent job. So I... Yeah, let, me, let me move forward a little bit. That's a heavy pulpit. Dear Lord. No wonder Tony's so strong. So when God looks, he sees linear through the ages. That's why he's called the Ancient of Days. All humanity looks back on this one that got the beginning going, who, who is strategically moving towards a God-given end. And being an end times people that we are, students of the, of the end, we know that there is an appointed time when Christ will return and he will sum up all things and that will be it for things as we know it today. God is the God who declares the end from the beginning. So uh, as we live our lives and walk through this life, we have to be a people who sees linearly knowing that the choices and the decisions that we make today make a difference on the generations to come. Uh, Dads, this will help us to not live carelessly if we understand we've got vision to see linearly, not just at your son's life or his son's life, but there are a multitude of generations yet to come that you have not seen that will be, and what you do today affects them. Now, Psalm 139, Psalm 139, 16 says this, You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment, every moment, every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. This is who our our God is. If he's the God who declares the end from the beginning, then he's already laid out every moment. He knows every decision that we're going to make. He's got the perfect plan for your life. Our goal is to find that plan and keep in step with it so that we don't mess it up like Cain did. God's plan didn't stop because Cain made a bad choice. Hear that, guys. God hasn't got your life planned out to every inch of a detail that you're going to make every decision right. He's got a perfect plan for your life and He's calling you to step into it and live it out. Hello? How am I doing, Brad? Doing okay? 
You guys got a new member right here at Church on the Rock, Brad. I met him this morning. Okay, so every moment's there. Now, the other thing that Psalm 139 and 16 says is that there's a book. Didn't we read that? Y'all are looking at me strange. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Well, if there's a book with every day of my life recorded in it, then one of the prayers that I constantly pray is, God, let me see that book. Let me open that thing up and let me gaze upon the pages and begin to discern your plan for my life, your plan for my sons, for my grandson, and for my grandson's grandsons. Let me see that book, God. All the days of your life are written in that book. I, I believe that we can access that thing. That's why prayer is important to us. We pray in other tongues. We pray in the Holy Spirit. And as we do that, the heavens open up and God gives us vision. We want to learn to live seeing through those circular generations to see the plan and the purpose of God. See, Matthew 19 and, and 20, uh, Luke, or no, Luke 19 and Matthew 25 both give a parable of the stewards. And these stewards, what makes it an important parable is that a steward is someone who takes something that doesn't belong to them and they cause it to increase. Uh, as a father, I am a steward of my sons. I'm a steward of my, of my grandchildren. And so there is a call, there's a heavenly demand upon my life that I take care of and I cause increase to come to that which God has left me in charge of. So as a father on Father's Day, I want to remind you, it's just not just a, you know, I'm glad we're getting honored today and, you know, there's lots of bacon and bullets and coffee mugs and stuff like that for us. We, we love that stuff. But the greatest honor of all is that God would trust us with the life of another. Anybody can become a dad, but it takes work to be a good father. So if, if God can speak to our hearts today, dads, and cause us to look for that book that is written all the days of our life and the days of our children, then we can begin to do some things that impact their lives for the glory of God that will strengthen them for all eternity. Now, Let's, I'm just at point number one. This is incredible. <clears throat> that was my introduction. <clears throat> I want to talk about living with eternity. And here's the question. How different would your choices be if you did everything with eternity in mind? See, there are two things that affect our eternity. One is what we believe, and second is what we do, or how we behave. So what we believe and how we behave. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 4.18, the Passion Translation, We don't focus our attention on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but the unseen realm is eternal. So as you start looking at those circles of life, suddenly you begin to say, oh wow, I've got to have the eyes of eternity so I can see that which is in the book, which is invisible, which cannot be seen with the naked eye, only with the eyes of the Spirit. So often, 
we get duped into or we get deceived to think that our choices don't hurt anyone. And through all the years of pastoring, I've heard that a thousand times. Well, maybe not that many times, but I've heard it a lot where people say, you know, that's my sin and I'm not hurting anybody. That's because you are blind and you can't see what God sees. I'm saying open your eyes and begin to look with the eyes seeing into and through eternity. If you realize that the wrong choices that you were making right now were inviting demons into your grandchildren's life, would you continue to walk in that darkness? See, if, if unholy, unwise choices open our lives up to the demonic, that demonic gets to be there generationally. And what those demons do through the generations is that those, those demons, they come as accusers. So I may not be able to see with my natural eye, my granddaughters, great-grandchildren, but in the eyes of the Spirit, I can see them. And if I know that the choices I make right now open up the demonic realm for the demons to come uh, generations ahead, and am I okay here? Thank you. If you're watching online, good on you. <laughs> Uh, and so uh, the, these generations that are out here that I can't see with my natural eye, when they are now born and living their lives, that demonic realm gets to come and to bring accusation. Well, you know, I, this, I can bring this impurity and this uncleanness and this law, this legalistic thing, this uh, uh, immoral devil, this religious devil, all because right back there it was introduced to the family line. See, if we can see with the eyes of eternity, that should begin to affect the choices that we make right now in this life. Because, you know, i got enough battles to fight on my own. I don't want my grandkids having to fight things that I had to fight off. I want to live my life in such a way that that thing is canceled in this line, right here, right now. That it doesn't go to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. Why did God choose Joseph and Mary? Don't you ever ask these questions? Why Joseph and Mary? Both of them were righteous. Incredibly righteous. Do you think God just went, yeah, hey, how about you and you? Why don't, why don't you be the, the parents of my son? Do you think that's how God approached it? Absolutely not. Why do we approach it that way? Why do we approach raising a family that way? Just find a wife, get a job, have a baby. No, God doesn't approach life that way. He approaches it with purpose. And so when He chose Joseph and Mary, He chose two holy and righteous people. Do you think it mattered to God who the parents of His Son were going to be? Do you think it matters to God who you are as a parent to the children He's blessed you with? Absolutely. Too many parents, parents hand off. Too many parents, parent out of the scene. Too many parents don't step into to give input 
into their kid's life. I'm talking about a little baby on up to 30s and 40s. I still look to my dad today for wisdom and direction. What would you do? What would you say? How would you handle this? I'm grateful that I still have my parents with me. Let me ask you another sobering question. You ready? Are you sober? Okay, this is checking. Here comes another sober question. If you were asked to raise the Son of God, how differently would you parent? Do you think there's a difference between your child and God's child? See, that calls us to get our game on. When we think about, wow. See, when you look linearly and see what God sees through the ages, you're looking at God's purpose. You're looking at the purposes of God for an individual's life. And when you see the purposes, you invest differently. Let's say you were put in Joseph or Mary's shoes. Another question. How would you raise the Son of God? If you were Jesus' dad or Jesus' mom, how would you raise baby Jesus? Well, one thing I put in my notes is exceptionally carefully. See, why is it that we don't take that same approach? See, I think when you got the Son of God in your house, the bar gets set incredibly high. And if right now you're feeling a little convicted or condemned because of actions and choices and things you've done and the raising of your kids, the only thing I can say is repent, God forgives, and start being a good dad or mom right now today. Start approaching this thing like it's the Son of God that's in your house. How are you going to handle their lives? Secondly, not only would you handle his life exceptionally carefully, but you would find every scripture in the scrolls pertaining to him and make sure he knows them and that you are imparting to him who he genuinely really is. Are you getting this? See, if you knew you had the Son of God, you would read the Bible and find everything written in those scrolls about him, and you would read that to him, you would pray over that with him, you would talk about it, because you would want him to know who he is. Why is it that parents don't do that? Because we are not looking at the purposes of God through the ages with a linear perspective. There is so much in God's word that God has for us. That he intends to make a deposit into our lives with. How different would our children's lives look if we did this more effectively. I watch children's pastors and workers work so hard to get the truth inside of kids only to hear a parent go, isn't that cute? 
Oh, shut up. There's no cuteness about it at all. There's a strategy of heaven that's being released in this young person's life right now. Your prayer should be, oh God, that is awesome what is being written on their heart and mind. Seal it there, God. Don't let the thief ever come and steal that word away. It's not cute. It's fierce. We're raising up serpent crushers, not cute snake handlers. Okay, babe. Third thing you'd do is, if you had the Son of God in your house, is you'd pray all the time. You'd do what Paul said. What Paul said. Pray without ceasing. You'd be saying, Lord, help me to do this. Lord, help me to train him in the Word. Lord, help me to equip him. Lord, don't let me mess this up. Let me walk awesomely in the fruit of the Spirit and in the Spirit. Fourth thing you would do if you had the Son of God in your house is you would live in close relationship with Him. You don't even know what that means, do you? Do you know why there are generation gaps? You heard the word, right? Generation gap. Do you know why generation gaps exist? Because parents failed to communicate. The only way you can get a generation gap in your family line is not communicate. That's how a generation gap forms. No communication. So we have to learn as parents and grandparents how to effectively communicate. And it's not... Get, sit on that chair right now. We're going to communicate. <laughs> you looking at me, we're going to have some communication now. No. You communicate while you do life. Yes. You share life. You talk about life. And the more effective your communication is, the smaller that generational gap will be. We've done things at Freedom from time to time where we bring uh, seniors and kids together. And I'll never forget this one time. I'm going to cry. Yeah. Uh, a gentleman who was World War II and Korea submariner. And I let the kids ask him questions, and I ask him questions. And he just began to share his life in the military. And I watched the kids' faces as they begin to understand a man's fears and a man's faith. As tears flowed from his eyes as he talked about those days. You know, those are kids that are going to have... American history written on their hearts and a love for freedom because they saw an older person with tears in their eyes having paid a price. And then I've watched old people 
with gray hairs like my chin. Watch little kids talk about their fears. And suddenly, this gap that existed where seniors and kids just pass each other in church and they never get to know one another, suddenly that gap comes down and these generations begin to connect. Generation gaps are formed because of a lack of communication. The more effectively we can communicate with one another, the smaller that gap becomes. What else would you do? You would live in an intimate relationship with him. And secondly, you would keep a close watch on all the relationships that he has. How do you measure success when you're raising the son of God? Well, the easiest way is you look at the word constantly. You wouldn't be going, God, my son needs a little plastic trophy. Could you get him one? He needs encouragement. Some parents pursue that little plastic trophy more than they pursue the true relationship with the living God that impacts the heart. I'm not nothing against little plastic trophies. If only you as a parent are interested in that, I've got a problem. And you do too. We want to look at the Word and go, how good am I doing and raising up this little one in your ways? Do they carry the heart of God? And we work together to do... You, you okay with all this? Yeah. I'm giving it to you anyway. <laughs> we would be looking with eyes of eternity. Eyes of eternity as you hold that baby in your arms, that grandbaby. Eyes of eternity. Do you know what else you'd do? You would make sure there was nothing in your life opposing the ways of God. Nothing. You know what else is scary about that? Anybody ever had an experience of, you know, that little one, two through five, say? They just tell it like it is. You know, my mom wears funny underwear or something. You know, and they say it at the most inopportune times. Got all your friends from church over, and there they go. And you just go, you just turn 50 shades of red and go, mmm. Yeah, that's my kid. Think about if you got God in your house. What would God say as a five-year-old? What would God say to his father? Just a thought. I'm just, I'm just. So if I'm going to be impacting a generation... I have to be aware of the book of destiny, and I must, body, soul, and spirit, live according to the word, to the best of my ability. Got to do that. Because who I am literally becomes 
very, very important to the following generations. You getting that? Who I am doesn't just affect me. It affects the generations. And the more effectively we can become great fathers and mothers, the more we're going to see God in the generations. Okay, I'm ready for point number two. What time do we sing again? 11.30? 11.30. I like how he says that. 11.30 at least. Yes. <laughs> Number two, my mission. So this is my mission as a father, to see my family as God sees me and my children. To see my family as God sees me and my children. So the first thing I want to say under this point, and we saw it in Genesis 3 and 16, I was created to be a serpent crusher. I was created to be a serpent crusher. I was created to be a serpent crusher. God's got a plan for my life, and part of it is to be a serpent crusher. When the Father spoke those words back there in Genesis, he will crush your head. He was looking at a, his Messiah, his son, generations down the line. But in order for that uh, generation down there, his son, to come into the earth, that word, if I had the rope stretched out here again, I would be running that word through the generations. Are you beginning to see? So in order to get that word to come to pass back there, it's got to come to pass here with Seth and Noah and Abraham and Moses and David. We don't know the full plan of God. But we can live in such a way that we see the thread of God, the course of God through all of the generations. And the first word that God says, he will crush your head. Well, he says he will crush your head. I don't like what the devil did either. So I want to be a serpent crusher. I want to put my, I love the, the, uh, the passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's. When Jesus is in the garden praying and the serpent's slithering around. Do you remember that? He's I know guts and brains going everywhere. It's like, yes, dead serpent. I'm called to be a serpent crusher. So I have to see myself that way. And I have to see my children and my grandchildren that way. Not that they have to have my personality or the way that I go at life or serving God, but they got to have this thing down on their insides that says, I hate everything the devil does, and I'm totally sold out for God. Whatever he wants to do through me, here I am. I'm available. If he needs me to sing and crush demons with my song, then I'll do that. By the way, I don't know who's playing the keyboard, but there's an anointing on that young lady right there. There's an anointing on you for the nations. For the nations, I just see your songs as you were playing and singing. 
for the nations. The Lord wants to birth that in you. That's part of your calling. It's part of your eternal destiny. That's going to be the serpent crushing. You may not cast out devils, but you will drive down uh, gates of hell by your praise and by your worship, and you'll activate other people in that as well. So I got to see myself that way, and I got to impart that to my children. Another illustration pops to mind. You know, my granddaughter, when she was really... I can't tell she got me wrapped around her finger. She was like two or something like that. And we're out swimming in the pool and she's got one of those dive sticks. You know, you throw them in the water and then you dive in, go down the bottom, pick it up. And so she comes out and uh, what, I don't even know what cartoon, another Disney deal. She said, I don't care about Disney. But she's, she comes over to me and she I'm going to put a spell on you. And I went, you can't do that. And she stops. She's like, well, why? I said, because I'm full of the Holy Spirit. I love God. I got the word. And can't be no curse put upon me by anybody. She goes, well, let's pretend. I'm like, yeah, she's getting it. She's getting it. See, we want to make these kind of, uh, of impartations in our, in our families' uh, lives. Uh, so when Adam and Eve sinned, death entered in on the picture, and right there it looks like the enemy has won, but God had already released his plan, reproduce and take dominion. Serpent crushers are people who take dominion. They take dominion. They take dominion in the spirit. They take dominion emotionally. They take dominion physically. Body, soul, and spirit. This is a call to take dominion. Don't let darkness, the Apostle Paul said, reign or rule in any part of your life. Serpent crushers, don't let darkness reign or rule in any part uh, of their life. See, that, uh, that man and that woman, they would reproduce, and their seed, Seth, was the appointed one. And he, he made a pathway, or God made a pathway for God's plans to continue through humanity until Jesus could come. Now, there are two purposes for the generations. Two purposes for the generations. Number one is to ensure that Messiah would enter in in the fullness of time and totally destroy the power of the enemy. You can read that. I won't read it to you. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 54 through 57. You get, you'll get it up there. So the first purpose for the generations, the circles, is that God is moving towards Messiah coming in, and guess what? He is moving towards Messiah returning. Ooh, I like that. The second purpose of the generations is to bring God's life, to bring God's life and light into the dark world of humanity. That's the second purpose. Talk about serpent crusher. God would love to see generations, I'm talking about circles now, generations just lavishly filled up with God-fearing, word-talking, Holy Ghost-led believers that wherever they see darkness, they're invading. They're setting people free. They're praying for the sick. They're preaching salvation. They're sharing with their friends. They're bringing freedom and life to people everywhere they go. That's what God's about in the generations. Come on, come and be born, work a job, retire and die. How sad is that? Uh, that's another message. So when God looks on a newborn, what he sees is seizes the seed. And it's fathers who carry the seed. 
And that seed is planted in the womb of destiny. And so when that child comes forth, God sees all these plans and purposes that he has laid out because he's looking linearly through that son or that daughter's life. And that parent or those parents and grandparents who can see the plans and the purposes for the life of God in that individual right there, they open up doors for angelic visitation, for dreams, for Holy Ghost encounters, just as the accuser comes in where unwise choices are made to bring accusation and to keep that child from stepping into their destiny, God also releases His Spirit and angels and heavenly help. I could sit and talk all day long about my, my life where I can just look back and I've seen God save, deliver, keep me. And I had a rough start just because of my own bad choices. I had a rough start, but man, I could see the hand of God through, through my life. Just like, wow, this is just absolutely incredible, God. What is that? Well, that was praying parents. That was praying grandparents. That was my great-grandfather back here that I never got to meet, but everybody said he, was, he loved God like crazy. So God's looking at these generations, and he wants to shine his life uh, through us. So God looks, and he sees a seed, and when you see a seed, you have the hope of generations. That's why everybody that holds a baby gets all, you know, cute, cuddled up with it. You know, if you're at Walmart and you see somebody with a baby in front of you, you know, you, everybody's, you can be the grumpiest old sour-faced old man on the face of the earth, but you take a mom with a baby in a Walmart line and you'll find a smile on that grumpy old man's face. What is that? Just something about, it pulls hope out of you. It's like, oh, this is what it really is all about. Yeah, if only we felt that way about God's plans as well. We would live differently. So when we see that newborn, we see seed. We see the hope of the future. In other words, there's a hope for another generation right there. It's a seed with potential that's being raised up to continue the crushing of the serpent's head. So I got to live as a serpent crusher. That means I have to have my own personal, intimate, up-to-date relationship with the living God. Got to be filled with Zoe life. It's a life that gives us vitality. I have to walk in His ways. I'm going to impact the generations for God. I got to walk in His ways. That word, walk, comes from a Hebrew word, halakha, and it has to do with biblical truths in every facet of your life. Education, finances, ethical decisions, expressions of your faith. Halakha is your visible walk with God that affects every area of your life. It's the life your family sees you living out. It's the life your family sees you living out. Ah, oh, it's got quiet. It's, your, it's the life your family sees you living out. We want our lives to be kingdom expressions in the earth. So not only do I need to be a serpent crusher, secondly, I have to be able to recognize his voice. 
have to be able to recognize his voice. Ministry to our children should never be mechanical and without the voice of God. What are you saying, Pastor? It's obvious. If it's mechanical, it means you haven't prepared. You picked up your little Sunday school book, you read through the little Sunday school outline, you go into your little Sunday school class, and you deliver your little Sunday school lesson. Shame on you. You're standing before kings and princes, and you want to hand them that? Our kids need to hear the voice of God just like you're hearing the voice of God today. I didn't get saved till I was 19, but man, did I have some Holy Ghost impact on my life. I hated Bible school, vacation Bible school. I don't take me there. I pleaded with mom, please do not take me to that place. But I remember this one lady, Mrs. Nielsen. She always wore like a long Pentecostal skirt, had her hair up in a bun, twisted so tight it pulled her face back, bright red lipstick. I'm thinking, oh no, they're going to put me in a classroom with that woman tucked away in a dark basement of some church. But I can still remember right now, she had this like cookie cake pan, and she put, built a beach in there with sand. She had these little paper figures of Jesus. And she was talking about Jesus feeding his disciples after the resurrection. I cried then. Five-year-old. Why? Because it wasn't some mechanical lesson. It was a precious saint who prayed over, what is it, God, that you want me to deliver to these kids? And it wasn't a cute little lesson. It was the word of the Lord resonating with anointing, piercing through my heart. When I was 10, that's when my parents got saved. I got stuck now going to, I used to fish, hunt, hang out with my cousins. Now I got to be at Sunday school. I got to be at church. I got to be at Wednesday night service or Sunday night service, Sunday night youth group, Wednesday night. My dad drug me to prayer meetings. I did not like church. (laughs) But in that Sunday school classroom for 10-year-olds, big belly guy, Jim Durf, he used to stand there and let us punch his stomach. Come on, that all you can do? <laughs> Again, we're down in one of them basement classrooms painted Sunday school blue with a cord and a light bulb. I'm like, yeah, I feel real safe here. <laughs> but he would teach with such passion and almost every week end up crying somewhere in his lesson. And those things were written on my heart that when I got saved, I could look back and go, that guy there, I don't have a clue what he ever taught me, but I remember his tears. I remember his face. I remember the love, and that's what impacted my heart. And you want to bring a little lesson out of a little book with no prayer and no anointing? Shame on you. You're standing before kings and princes. You're standing before serpent crushers. That God has 
honored you with the privilege of speaking into their life. Not just giving them the word, but giving them an impartation because your heart has been bathed in prayer with the word. My youth pastor. Again, I didn't get saved until I was 19. My youth pastor, John Mongerson. Did I make his life miserable? <laughs> I, man, I, I don't even want to tell the stories. I made his life miserable. I'll tell this one. It was fun. He took us to Turkey Run State Park, and we were camping out. <clears throat> oh, what, maybe... 13, 14. Well, I just figured it'd be great to bring fireworks. <laughs> and so in the middle of the night, we snuck out and went down to the Lutheran camp. And they had like three or four small fires going. Everybody went to bed. And I divided up the firecrackers. And I said, let's just run by and drop them all in there. We threw our firecrackers in the fire. They were going off like, you know how they light and then they blow others out everywhere and it's like a rain of fire. It wasn't 15 minutes later and the police and the park rangers (laughs) were paying a visit to my youth pastor. (laughs) That was one of the more gentler stories. Why are you bringing this guy up? Because I don't want you just coming in with a cute little lesson that you haven't prepared for. This man labored in prayer for my salvation, for my soul. At 13, he said, you've got a call on your life. And he's a Nazarene. They don't even believe in this stuff. He's prophesying. You've got a call on your life. I knew I had a call in my life, and I wasn't about to answer it. I was heading the other way as fast as I could go. And when I'm 17, making my decision of where I'm going to go to school, I could go to Olivet Nazarene College, or I could go to Illinois State University. Well, I'm not going to go to Olivet Nazarene College. I'm going to go where they have fun. And I remember him coming to me again with tears in his eyes, going, Tim, you got to think about this. This is your destiny. You're talking your future. Again, I don't remember one single youth lesson he ever taught. (laughs) But I always remember the tears. And I remember the love. I received the impartation. You never know what God is doing or how he is doing it. That's why we don't want to ever come in unprepared. We want to come in bathed with prayer. God, help me. This lesson is going nowhere without you. I do the same thing as I did right here coming in this morning. God, I get the opportunity to be at church on the rock. God, may I write eternity upon their hearts today. May your plans come to pass through me today, right here in this place, God. We have to recognize his voice. John the Baptist lived with his ear to the ground. 
He was listening for the footsteps of God. He was listening for the movement and the sound of God in the earth. John the Baptist was able to hear and discern it's time now. And he starts preaching like nobody's heard, anybody's ever heard before. People came out from the cities to gather down by the, the River Jordan to hear John the Baptist preach. Why? Because when he taught, it wasn't like the Pharisees. Like when Jesus taught, it wasn't like the Pharisees. It caused the heart to be awakened. It did our hearts not burn within us as he spoke the word? That's how it should be in your Sunday school classroom. That's how it should be in your youth meetings. That's how it should be in your church, that the anointing of God is there. It's not a man's voice that they're hearing. It's the voice of a man with the anointing of God that touches the heart. We gotta to learn to recognize God's voice. Eli could not recognize God's voice because God wasn't even talking to him. He's talking to his young boy Samuel. Three times Samuel hears the voice of the Lord, and every time he runs to go talk to Samuel, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm hearing Samuel. It's Eli finally comes to his senses and goes, Oh, well, maybe God's talking to you. Next time he says so, just say Hineni. It's a Hebrew word for here, here am I. I'm, I'm here right now. Pick me. That's what it means. Here am I, Hineni. Who will go for me? Isaiah 6. Isaiah says, Hineni, I'm your man. Pick me. I'm, I'm right here. Samuel says, I'm here. Yes, Lord, speak. And then it just progresses to the point where not one of Samuel's words fell to the earth. Oh, to prophesy like that. Not one word fell to the earth. God has created us in such a way that we can hear his voice. Samuel was raised up for David. Don't read Samuel's life and think, oh, this is Samuel's life. He was born here, he died there. No, Samuel was raised up for David because Samuel's words in David's life made a difference throughout all eternity. You don't know who you're standing before in that classroom back there. George Barna in his book, Transforming Children into Spiritual Champions. They studied churches that had the best results of seeing children find God and grow through the teen years and to become adults that were still serving God. I love studies like that. Here's what he wrote. The most important resource, resource we believe, was the amazing amount of prayer for children and parents that was evident at the most effective ministries to children. The most important resource, we believe, was the amazing amount of prayer for children and parents that was evident at the most effective ministries to kids. Can you turn me off back there, Nathan, for just a moment? Because I'm going to blow my nose and everybody don't want to hear that. <laughs> so make sure you place a premium on prayer. I'd have to be a good steward. That's my mission. Know the word. Be able to recognize God's voice. Be a serpent slayer. Pray. Be a good steward of my life and my children's. See, a steward takes care of valuable assets that are not his. 
a steward takes care of valuable assets that are not his. 1 Corinthians 4.2, now a person who is put in charge as a manager must be faithful. You got a baby in your house, you've been put in charge. You must be faithful if you're going to be a good manager, a good steward. David says in Acts 13.36, David, after he had served the purposes of God in his own generation, he fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. In other words, his body rotted there. The word served, after he served his generation, meant he served as an assistant. He served assisting God in accomplishing God's plan in his life and in the nation of Israel. God is calling you. God is using you to be a servant here in the house called Church on the Rock. You are assisting God with his plan for children's lives, for one another's lives. Kelly made mention of that, connecting with one another. That's a prophetic utterance. God's saying, guard that, protect that, go after that. It's part of my plan and my strategy for Church on the Rock. Amen. Secondly, you have to evaluate. I don't know if it's second or sixth. It's letter E in my notes. Evaluate where I am as a parent. Another thing that George Barna wrote in his book, Revolutionary Parenting, describes three types of parents. There's the revolutionary parent. These are radical believers, meaning that God is first and foremost in their priorities of life. Everything comes from their deep conviction of love and obeying the word of God. Jesus is the center thing of their house, the center thing of their decisions and everything they do. They don't skip church for soccer. They don't skip this for that. Jesus is the center of what they do. Are you hearing me? So often, we negate the authority of God in our lives by making choices to stay home and watch in your bed rather than being in church connected with other believers. I still love you. <laughs> then there's the evangelical parent. The main focus of these parents is to see that their children are born again. Once they get born again, they're happy. They really don't work at developing this incredible, intense relationship with God and with their child like the radical parent does. They are just nominal. And then last... Or third, you have the nom they're just evangelical. The third one is nominal. These people consider themselves as Christian, but they don't have any kind of life-changing relationship with Jesus, nor do their kids. So the most important faith practice your children can glean from your life is your dependence on the Lord Jesus. Let that be seen. Let your grandkids see that. Third point, going quickly. Our goal, so we got the mission, just gave that to you. The goal now is to crush the serpent's head. That means you're going to have to make changes. If we're going to live with eternity in mind, it requires that we make changes. My Kelly's dad, Herman, man, we love that guy. We talk about him every day. I can't think of a day in our lives that we've not spoken of Herman. He moved down here from Ohio years and years ago. He's with Jesus now. Uh, but when he moved down here, he began to backslide. He began to 
allow things into his life that were surprising us. And then us having grandchildren, we're like, oh, don't really like that, that he's allowing these things in there. So I just preached this kind of stuff with more ferocity, and we had conversations with him as well. And he heard our hearts. Communication closes the generational gap. He heard our hearts, and one of the things we told him was, Dad, you, you got this incredible anointing. You got this walk, this history with God, and we want our boys to see that. Our boys need time with you. They need you to invest in their lives. And so he, he took us at our word. That's a hard conversation to have with your dad and your mom. But he took our word, and he took it to heart, and his life changed. I mean, like overnight, he just cut off stuff in his life. Why? Because now he's seeing the purpose of God. He's looking linear. Yeah. He's not just looking at finishing up life and dying. He's looking linear at the purposes of God. He started spending time, was it every week or every two weeks? It's like every week. At least an hour with Josh, at least an hour with Caleb at different times. Not together, different times. So there's a personal investment there. It made night and day difference in our boys' lives. So there has to be changes. If you're going to be a serpent crusher, you've got, to, you've got to start changing now. I don't care how old you are or young. Change. Get over it. God's calling you. He loves you too much to leave you where you're at today. I don't care how good or how bad you are. Start today. Start now. Get ready. Make some changes. When my kids were entering junior high, getting close to those ages, I, I come to the understanding I had an anger issue. I had to work on that. I mean, I had to throw myself wholeheartedly in that to overcome that because I was seeing what it was doing to my boys. Made our teen years rougher because of that thing, those things sowed when they were littler. I had to change. You getting this? Secondly, we're to live with eternity in mind we're going to have to close that generational gap and communicate with our kids. Don't be too busy to spend time with them. And when you talk to a teenager, you can't talk to them like you are an eight-year-old. That does not bridge the generational gap. You've got to give them space to talk, space to spout off, space to disagree, because most of the time they're disagreeing just to see if they can get a rise out of you, and most of you aren't smart enough to recognize it. You just fall right into the devil's plan. Let them talk and process. You don't get angry with one another, tell, tell them how stupid that decision is, you know that view is. You're just making their heart hard. They're just looking to have a decent conversation. And you can listen and you can talk very politely and kindly about what you believe and why you believe it. That is your most strategic time to make an impact on that teenager's life right there. You can't go pushing them off with your ballistic worldview, religious view. It's like, no, come, let's have a conversation. If we live with eternity in mind, we have to live with the fire of God on our inside. You can't do this without God. You've got to have 
Awesome. Holy Ghost fire on your insides. 